Hi, I'm Pete Price and it's Pete Price Extra. How dare they call Joe Anderson the spare mayor? Do you actually know what he does? Do you realise what he's done for Liverpool? If you'd like to hear more, then listen in to Pete Price Extra with the mayor of Liverpool, Joe Anderson. Well, I'm thrilled to be uh, with the mayor of Liverpool again in his office on a beautiful summer's day with some amazing treasures in this office. As I say, treasures, they're just pieces that have just... It, it's great office, isn't it? It is, and, and the point about it is all those treasures belong to the people of the city, yeah. including this building, uh, which is, you know, I get so excited about, you know, when people come here, businessmen and people from uh, across the world, dignitaries and visitors to the city, who are in awe of the building, not just, you know, the downstairs and, you know, where the first-class passengers used to depart and the second-class passengers and the... the uh, tons and tons of thousands of tons of Italian marble and the South African rosewood, all of the things that are wonderful about the building, but when they come to this office and they look out and see the river and they talk about, you know, the, 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 the building, but also about this office and they see, you know, the old pictures about the Liverpool, which we have here pinned up in, in the office, which is, you know, the old Liver buildings and the Port of Liverpool building, with the picture where the, the uh, Cunard building hasn't even been built. But they look at that and they see all of the things that we've got, all of the gifts that are being given to the city uh, from different people and they're in awe of it. So it's, it's a, I, I get so full of pride when I'm telling people about the building, it's amazing. Didn't you get slagged for buying it off once? <laughs> What's it worth now? Yeah. How much you well, pay? Well, it's paid for now, you know. I mean, uh, people don't realise. I mean, it's, it's on Friday uh, of uh, last week, we ended up with um, us negotiating a deal for uh, a company to move in here and pay £150,000 a year in rent. So we get just under £2 million in rent uh, every single year from people who rent space in this building and you know we paid 10.4 million we spent 3 million refurbishing it and we've had offers in excess of you know 28 million um, and so we guess it's probably worth 40 million now the live building went for 57 uh, million so uh, you know we're sitting on an asset that belongs to the people of the city but it's paid for it's now making a profit um, and that's an amazing uh, I think thing for us to uh, have uh, in our ownership uh, one of the three graces on the waterfront that belongs to the people of Liverpool There's been another hiccup in your mayorship well, Is that the right word, mayorship? Yeah, I think so I mean, I mean it's um, it, you know, I try to um, make the difference between the elected mayor and the civic mayor so mayorship applies to your period of office as a mayor I guess so um, I, I wouldn't have thought there was any better way to describe it. Mayorship seems good enough for me. But there is the difference between the civic mayor, the Lord Mayor, the mayor who wears the chain, and the elected mayor. And another mayor now, we've got, of course, Steve Rotherham. And again, you know... We've got a lot of mayors. Well, people... I know, and you know, it frustrates me a little bit about that because people actually start talking about it as if, you know, uh, I get called the spare mayor. Um, so, <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the spare mayor. That's the uh, favourite Lib, Lib Dem. Uh, 
saying, oh. I wish that I, I, I believed I was spare. Uh, I don't feel spare when I come in at eight o'clock in the morning and go home at eight o'clock at night and do the deals and do the things that we do every single day to make our city tick over. Um, but, but of course, the regional mayor has specific responsibilities with regards to devolution, and that is, you know, uh, around transport, um, skills, uh, and specific, as I said, negotiated powers from central governments. And of course, the city mayor, which is me, has to run the city and, you know, is responsible for economic regeneration in the city, responsible for the roads, uh, the highways, the libraries, all of the services that we provide and do. But, you know, creating new businesses and jobs uh, all, all come under the city mayor's uh, responsibilities and that's what uh, we do. The civic mayor, the lord mayor, you know, is just basically to meet and greet the Queen or civic dignities and also to open events and, and, you know, raise money for charity and do the things that mayors do with gold chains around the neck. So we all have uh, roles to do and responsibilities, so I don't think there's anybody spare uh, at all. You know, we're not going to get rid of our civic mayor, the Lord Mayor, and, and you know, I work well with the regional mayor uh, because we both know what responsibilities we have and the jobs that we have in hand. So what was the hiccup? Um, I, I mean, I, look, at the end of the day, there was a, a debate uh, that was had in the party uh, as a group around whether uh, the city was uh, in need of, of a city mayor um, uh, and whether we should go back to uh, what's called the leader and cabinet model and there was a debate and a discussion around both of those models well there's absolutely uh, no difference between the models in terms of scrutiny or roles for councillors to play in the council uh, and that was the argument but look the elected mayor of the city is elected by everybody in the city um, and has a clear mandate and, and you know a very very strong mandate because five constituencies in Liverpool uh, are given the opportunity to elect their mayor and you know uh, in 2012 I stood against 11 candidates and in 2009 I stood against sorry in 2016 I stood against I think it was nine uh, uh, candidates and and you know a number of them were saying that they'd abolished the the, the mayor well they never won uh, I, I did I've got an electoral mandate from the people of the city to deliver on the manifesto that I put before the people of the city to build house and create jobs and wealth and growth for the city and to protect the poorest and you know we've just had a recent election uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, and we won 25 out of 30 seats 59 percent of the vote uh, within the city and I don't think people in the city are particularly bothered about what form of governance we have um, as long as it's delivering the things that they want and that's what we're trying to do and I think we're doing successfully otherwise uh, we wouldn't have won 25 out of 30 seats and we wouldn't have won 59% of the vote so it wasn't a hiccup as such it was a debate it's right that people have a view it's right that those views are heard and listened to and it's right that we explain to people the differences between the two models because as an ambassador for the city as a mayor that is you know like mayors of some of the biggest European cities you know we're a global city and we should have an elected mayor accountable to the people of this city who carries out 
the pledges and promises that were made to the people of the city. And if they don't like it, then they vote them out. And that's called democracy. So I'm a big fan of uh, democratic accountability. And an elected mayor is, in my view, the best model of governance to run a city uh, that is a modern city like Liverpool. Would you say you are accountable? Absolutely. You know, the LGA, which is called the Local Government Association, they did an inspection of our city about seven months ago, eight months ago, and they said we were the most over-scrutinised. We were a a city that had more select committees scrutinising the council and doing the things that uh, we should have done. Uh, than any other city in, in, in the country. So, of course, we're accountable. We have every select committee, you know, we have, uh, as I said, eight of those select committees, that those select committees all scrutinise what we do. We have a cabinet meeting that's open uh, to people to come along to uh, and to see the decision-making process in place. Um, and so, you know, I don't think lots of stuff that we publish on, on, on the web uh, and goes into the public domain. Uh, we have all the information on finance published, what we spend, how we spend it, who we spend it, all of the, uh, you know, all, all of the public information on what I get as an allowance, what other members get as allowances. As I said, all the decisions that are made, all of the salaries are on, on public open space. So I don't think we can be scrutinised any more than we currently are. I think it's actually a falsehood for people to claim that the, the council isn't scrutinised. I think that's just absolutely a blatant out-and-out lie uh, made by people. The one thing that seems to stick in everybody's mind, Joe, um, since you've been mayor, mm-hmm. more than everything, and, and maybe you can explain why, is the parks mm-hmm. and the situation mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. parks. Well, I think, you know, again, it, it's it's like everything, isn't it? That, that, you know, people will hear... Uh, different views and come to conclusions about those views based on what they hear Um, and the fact of the matter is is we've got now in this city more than any time in its history more than any time in its history we've got more green space now than we've ever had in fact since I became leader in 2010 we've got somewhere around about 65 to 70 acres more green space than we used to have that's not including the garden festival site. The garden festival site was for 30 years locked up. Nobody could get access to it. And we spent £800,000 on it. We've refurbished it and brought it back into use again. And the bottom line is it's now open to the public. Yes, we are going to build on it, but we're going to save 45 acres of that green space for people to have access to. So if you added that to the green space that we've created, you know, then bottom line is we've got more green space than any uh, time in the city's history. And, you know, more, um, more... green space I think than, than most other cities you know we're, we're a city I remember a graph being used recently I think it was in the Guardian which showed that we had uh, less green space than other cities but what they were not factoring in was 72% of our houses is terraced houses with no green space so when they did this like map heat map of all green space it showed you know gardens for instance in, in some of the parts of the country that, uh, you know, where they've got front and back gardens that are huge, and these are all factored uh, into that particular uh, green space map. Uh, But as I said, you know, in comparison to like with like, we've got more green space than we've ever had, and we've got more green space 
than actually we've ever had in our city's history. So, you know, we had a debate around um, the uh, Hart Hill Road, uh, where we had a, a piece of land called Beatley Stables, um, and another little bit of land called uh, Calderstone, uh, sorry, Calder Kids, and they both approached us to see if we could help them move, and we did, uh, and we moved them. And the money that we were going to get from building some of the, the houses on that site was going to go in to give them new facilities. The bottom line is that we never were going to do it unless we had their approval to do it. And now they're saying that they, they, well, called the kids have moved and we've got them new facilities. But the Beachley riding stables don't want to move, so we're not going to move them. They'll stay there, and as far as we're concerned, no houses are going to be built on, on, on that particular site. But that wasn't publicly accessible space. People need to know that it wasn't publicly accessible space. I accept it was green space. I accept that. And so that's you know why we're not building on it. We're not doing anything uh, because they don't want to move, and so we're not going to move them. But you did want to build on it, didn't well, you? Well, we did because that was a way of providing the money. They were willing to move to a space that needed a few million uh, in terms of to, to refurbish it and bring it back into, into use so that we could put the stables in there. The stables haven't got money uh, to put in, for instance, a disabled lift for kids who've got disabilities. They haven't got that and they needed new accommodation and new space. So what we're going to do now is give them an opportunity to have a, 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 a lease, a long lease, 100 years or whatever, so they can acquire money, hopefully, from some of the charities but it was done with the best intent. It was done because they wanted to do it. But look, it's history. Uh, I've learned from it. I, I certainly uh, will make sure that, you know, in future, when we do something like that, we do a bigger, wider public consultation and, and, and we listen to them. But during the uh, judicial review, I made it clear that, you know, we would wait until the judicial review finished, but we would never go against the wishes of the stables themselves and we wouldn't build and that's where we are and people are asking us now about the appeal because we're appealing the decision we're appealing the decision because of some of the technicalities of the of, of what was said by the judge around what we can do not just in liverpool but other places as well so we're appealing against that it's a technicality but it does not mean that we will change our mind our mind is set there will be no building on the Hart Hill Estate and the Beachley Stables can have a 100-year lease and we won't be building on that site or on the Calder site or on the model railway site. There will be no housing built on that site. What's your views on maybe having a referendum to see if the people of Liverpool want you? Well, uh, look, I, I guess, you know, when um, we look at in the last two mayoral elections, um, first one in 2012, um, uh, Richard Kemp from the Liberal Democrats and, and other people uh, stood and they made it clear that they would uh, retain and wouldn't allow the mayor and they wouldn't have the mayor. And then they stood again in 2016 and they didn't get the majority of people voting for them and, and we've ended up with a, a mayor. I think, you know, I've got no indication at all from the public that they are against the mayor. I've, I've got no indication of that. I've, I've clearly, 
you know, there'll be petitions about green space. Um, but if you look at the fact that, you know, we've created 31,000 jobs, 4,000 new businesses, we protect the poorest in this city with like 59 million pounds a year. We've done four mental health uh, new facilities. We're building another three. We've built 23 uh, new schools. Uh, just under 12,000 new houses have been created. You look at Anfield now, it's completely different. Anfield Village, it's being transformed. Look at the Boots Estate in Norris Green. Look at Eds Lane. Look at the uh, the developments up in Speak. Look at the uh, Project Jennifer, North Liverpool. Look at what we're doing in terms of transforming Bramley Moor Dock right down to the Garden Festival site. The cruise line at Terminal being built, the exhibition centre next to the Pullman Hotel. You look at the hotels that have been built. You look at Paddington Village, uh, where it's like sort of £1.2 billion worth of development, going to create 1,500 jobs and bring in new revenue into the city. Look at the Cunard building. Look at the deals that we've done in Finch Farm, the investor in, bringing in now about £23 million more in revenue than we've ever had before. Now, at the end of the day, if people think that that would happen or could have happened without the leadership of a mayor, they're mistaken. I've worked both as leader of the council for two years and, and as mayor next year for eight years, and I've seen the differences. I'm the only one who's been doing, who can and has done both of those jobs. I'm not saying anybody can't do it in the future. Of course they can, but I see the difference and I know the real impact that a mayor has. Some of the work that I'm doing around Camel Aid, some of the work that I'm doing with governments on, on eradicating the debt. We're building council houses now in this city the first time that council housing has ever been built in 30 years. We've got children's centres still open, libraries still open, leisure centres still open, despite thousands of them closing across the country and despite austerity. So bottom line is the transformation of our city is only halfway through. And that's why a mayor and the vision of a mayor and the passion that a mayor brings and the mandate that the mayor brings to our city is important. So if I got a, a sense or an inkling that people in this city didn't want a mayor, then I'd simply say, OK, let's have a referendum. But I don't believe for one minute at this juncture what I'm hearing is anybody complaining about the model of governance. They're complaining about austerity and they're complaining about uh, the cuts. There are one in four... Uh, children living in poverty in this city. There are 17,000 people on universal credit. There's £250 million a year that gets spent on housing benefits. They're the challenges that we face and I want to focus on them rather than having a debate and a discussion around, around whether the mayoral model works or not. Joe, you mentioned council houses being built, which is fascinating. Didn't we and other cities lose a fortune in rents that were never paid? Well, I think, you know, there were, there were a number of cities that, that, that had, uh, you know, rents uh, that weren't paid. I don't think, you know, it's ten, over 10 years since we had any council housing. All the stock, the council house stock was transferred to uh, housing associations, what we call now today RSLs. The Liberal Democrats transferred all them over. There, there was a lot of council uh, debt, council tax debt and, and poll tax debt. 
uh, that we've collected over the years. Um, but I, I don't think there was huge amounts of, of housing rent debt. Um, but, but, you know, there was a stock transfer of debt which had, you know, uh, large amounts of rent in it, as well as the, you know, the, the debt that would have been needed to repair the houses. So that was all um, there in terms of what we call the housing revenue account. But I've been able to get government to accept that the housing revenue account debt has been removed so we can go now and build council housing. So that's what we're going to do. Fine. Joe, let's remind, you mentioned the government, let's remind everybody why we need this money in this city. Well, you know, look, we, we've lost, in, in next year will be, um, for me, um, you know, I was elected in, in 2010 as leader uh, and I've been a councillor for 20 years. Um, but when we came into power uh, in 2010, since then, We've lost 64% between 2010 to next year, 2020, because we've set a year, a three-year budget so we know what we've got and what we haven't got. So by next year, we'll have lost £620 million. Now, that's every year. So if, if I worked in, in, you know, as chief executive of Jaguar Land Rover or, or of any uh, particular, you know, private sector company and I'd lost that money, probably those companies would go under we've been able to manage and steer our city through the most turbulent financial times it's ever had in its history and uh, you know um, as far as I'm concerned that we're not out the woods because I don't know in 2020 what more this government is going to do there's a review taking place it's called the fair funding review and, and that is about how local councils are funded now, in 2020, if they take away the elements of need and, and the, 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 the support that we get in terms of like for social care and uh, other benefits and other grants, what we call specific grants, if the government take them away, then we're in serious trouble. So, you know, um, we've got to do all of the things that we're doing, do more invest to earn. As I said, we're probably in terms of new uh, rents in uh, council tax and, and business rates, we're probably around £23 million uh, better off than we were in 2010. Um, but that just shows the enormity of the task that lies ahead of us because we've got to grow our economy, we've got to get more and more people into work, we've got to get more and more people off benefits, we've got to uh, support people uh, into work as much as we can. That can only be done with government support, national government support. So, you know, we've got a, a real... Uh, task ahead of us and I've got a real concern about how we manage beyond 2020 but that's you know one of the reasons why we need strong leadership and we need you know a mayor who's focused on making sure that we bring business in but also making sure that we support and provide care for the weakest in our society here in the city. Mr Mayor, before I go, I've got to mention the homeless. Mm -hmm. I get a little bit fed up of saying it over and over again. Liverpool is the model now in this country because we do so much for the homeless with the uh, No Second Night, with the charities out there, with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. what, it, I find it very frustrating. You can't do much more. And each case is an individual case, isn't it? Absolutely. We, we did, I did an interview with the Garden... Uh, so, sorry, The Guardian, 
about two days ago, uh, three days ago, and they visited our city and, and they, they were having a look around the city. And we were in the Whitechapel uh, Centre and they were saying, you know, how amazing is the Whitechapel Centre? Um, and then I, I explained to them that we support the Whitechapel Centre with £2.2 million a year. So the Whitechapel couldn't operate without me, without Liverpool, without the council taxpayers, because that's how much we give them. And, and then, you know, in total, we spend £11 million on homeless. Labrae House, the first uh, directly uh, supported local authority uh, provider of, uh, you know, a, a, a place for people to sleep and to stay and feel safe, no matter where you're from, uh, you know, so... We've opened that. It's named, as you know, after the patron saints of homeless, Benedict Joseph Labre. And, and the things that we do, the YMCA, the Salvation Army, all of the charities that we support that help homelessness in the city amounts to 11 million. So they were praising us, and, and I think rightly so, about what we do and how we uh, support people. But I, I did point out to them that there were many other uh, people that do a lot of work, Paper Cup and other organisations and other charities, the missionaries, the Sisters uh, of Mercy, other people that do amazing work out there in, in, in the city. But again, it, you know, it, it's, it, it is a problem that, that uh, is, it, 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 if you like, it frustrates me that when we do as much as we do, there are still people who, who want to criticise us. For instance, like, you know, we want to move the tents. And, and the reason why we want to move the tents is because we've had two people uh, that have died recently in tents. And, you know, both of them uh, deserve much more than being found dead on the streets of, of our city. And, you know, I guess... If they're in a tent, we don't know what's going on. We don't know whether, well, in both of the cases, you know, there was issues around drug misuse. Um, and if we weren't uh, able to help them, we've got to learn lessons from that. We weren't able to help them because they were inside tents and nobody knew what was going on and no one knew what was happening. And and the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we've got to learn from that. And the fact is that we've got an opportunity for every single person out on the streets to be in accommodation. And there is no second night out. There is uh, our, our own uh, room for everyone inside, which is Labrae House. And we'll provide accommodation and support for people. And, and that's the way it should be. And so there is no need for anybody. So I'm proud of what we do in this city. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we do as much as we do with those cuts that we're getting savaged by. And we still manage to raise our game, step up to the plate, whatever uh, you, know, you want to call it. But we are there for people, and that's the twin-track approach. Let's grow our economy, let's be strong, uh, and let's support those that are, are most in need. And it's a, a city based on fairness. That's what makes us tick, that's who we are. That's what makes us uh, Liverpool people, and, and we'll continue to do that. But I'm proud of the fact that we do what we do. But of course, I want more money. I, I, I want I want more care for people. I want more jobs. I want more mentoring from the private sector. I want to get people off addiction, and uh, uh, whether it's drugs or alcohol, uh, and into secure work and a future. I want to give them hope, and we can only do that by all working together. You're on social media. Does it work for you? 
I think social media is one of those, isn't it? That, that you know, I think there's forty-five thousand people follow me, which is a very small uh, number in, in in comparison to some politicians and, and other people. But I, I like it because it means that you know people engage with me. I mean, I, I, the, there is nobody on social media that I've blocked who hasn't deserved to be blocked. You know, um, I will not stand by and be insulted or, or abused and called, you know, names whatever. And, and whatever. And I'll block them. And, and, you know, other people tell me about what's such and I said, well, I don't read it because I block them. But I love the interaction with people. Uh, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm passionate about this city. I love it to bits and I wouldn't swap the job for any job in the world. Uh, and, and I do my best every single day and I'm honest. Uh, and, you know, my faith keeps me going and I do what I can every single day. Uh, to make a difference to this city um, and I like to talk to people about that I like to engage with people who, who sometimes don't have all the facts um, people are very very quick to criticise without understanding why we do things or need to do things uh, and social media is a tool yes sometimes I feel like walking away from it and saying you know Joe do you need to, to look at it and do you need to you know many many politicians just allow their staff to do it and I don't I, I, you know what, what I say is what I believe or, or what I think uh, I don't let my staff do, do anything you know on social media it's me um, and you know as far as I'm concerned I'll try and keep it going but it does, you know, it, do, it does impact on you when the insults, because it's not me who deals with those insults, you know, my family see it and, and I hate them of course so um, but I'll keep it going for as long as I, I think it's, it's useful to finish off, you've got a huge following of people that do love you. A lot of the business community think you're amazing. Uh, you don't always get it right. I say that regularly on radio. I am a great fan. I have no qualms about saying that ever. What do you say to the people that don't believe in you? Well, that's fine. That's fine. And, and you know, I, I, I don't mind anybody, you know, communicating with me, emailing me, asking me questions, either on social media or whatever. And of course, there will be people that, that you know, look, I was out uh, during the elections uh, and people were saying to me, you know, uh, your wife works for Red Row and, and, and you lived in this house. And, and, and councillors, Lib Dem councillors in particular, are scurrilous in some of the stuff that they put out. You know, one woman who's just been elected as a Lib Dem councillor told this old woman that I was earning £105,000 a year. Uh, and she named her, she said, councillor, or this woman told me uh, that you're earning uh, £105,000 a year and you, you live in the Red, a Red Row house. Uh, and, you know, that's what people believe. That's what people... Uh, it's sad. It, 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 it's, um, it, it's something that I can't uh, change because it's based on, you know, maliciousness. It's based on falsehoods, lies. Um, and, 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 you know, if people want to believe that... But I think... You know, if people genuinely want to know me, then come and speak to me. You know, come and talk to me, uh, email me. I'll come back to you. I'll phone you. Uh, you know, I do. I often phone people who, who will uh, send the phone number and say they want to talk to me, and and I will, and I'll give them an honest uh, answer. Um, and that's that's what I am really, as honest as as the days long in terms of. Um, 
dealing with this city and doing the job that I do. And you know, I, I'll never win everybody. You never will. I think any politician who thinks that they'll win everybody round either should be locked up in the nut house or, or, or whatever, because you, you're never going to do that. You can never ever please everybody, but you just got to do your best. And, and if you wear your heart and your sleeve and are honest and do the best, then you know, hopefully you'll win the majority of people round. Mr. Mayor Joe Anderson, thank you for talking to me. You're welcome.